All right, praises be to our loving Abba, Yahuwah, for gathering us together to continue to study his words and his commands. We are ongoing in our quest to study the book of Revelation. We are finishing up with the trumpets. We know last week we talked about the sixth trumpet. However, the sixth trumpet is not yet commenced. It's not yet finished. We will continue to study what the Apostle John talks about after he described what could be a potential future world war. And so if we go back and take a look at the seven trumpet events that we have uncovered and studied in our past uh, Bible History Project episodes, we know trumpet uh, number one corresponds to the first world war, uh, trumpet two to world war number two, which was fulfilled in 1939-1986, the Chernobyl or Wormwood Explosion, 2000 trumpet number four to global dimming, 2010, trumpet number five, to the deep water horizon oil spill, and then trumpet six. Uh, when we studied this last week in our last episode of the BHP, we noticed that this involves an army of 200 million, and this is available because when you are to number the army or the people, the military personnel of all the countries of the world, we are able to reach the 200 million mark and so the world is all primed and ready to go to conduct war that will eventually destroy many people throughout the world so when we look at the trumpet events you can already see the pattern that this involves destruction where human beings destroy the environment the atmosphere right and destroy one another in warfare and so because of the spirit of destruction that is being unleashed beginning with these trumpet events, which is basically Yahuwah's way of saying to mankind, uh, you don't want to receive my teachings, you ignore my laws and my commands, have it your way, do whatever you want, and the result, of course, is destruction, and this is made worse by the fact that the demons and angels responsible for many acts of destruction and natural events that bring vast destruction across the globe is, has also been unleashed. This is why trumpet six is called the second woe. And because it's called the second woe, we know it's not going to bode well for mankind when they experience the trumpet events. Now, when it comes to the second woe, in our last study, we haven't yet read the phrase. We haven't yet uh, been notified by the Apostle John when we studied Revelation chapter nine, that the second woe has already passed. That's because it will not pass until Revelation 11, 13, and 15. Let's go ahead and read all about that before we jump to Revelation 10. Uh, Revelation 11, 13, and 15. At the very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tent of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of Yahuwah and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so according to Revelation 11, verse 14, the second woe will not pass until this event has taken place, which is the severe earthquake that destroys the tenth of the city, and the city referred to there is Jerusalem. We'll talk more about that next week. 
and 7,000 people were killed. So after that event, only can that's the only time we can say the second row has passed, the trumpet, the sixth trumpet has concluded. And so in verse 15, the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, which marks the beginning of the kingdom of our king Yahusha, which of course will, it will be initiated by the Harpazo event, event at the sound of the seventh trumpet. And so we are not yet concluded with the sixth trumpet. And so we need to go back to Revelation 10 to see what Apostle John has to say about the unfolding events of the world. So let's go to Revelation chapter 10, 1 to 3. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rain rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. So that's what it says in Revelation 10, 1 to 3, after the event describing uh, what could possibly be World War number 3, which ushers the blowing of the sixth trumpet. So we have this mighty angel that is being described by the Apostle John. Notice the descriptive words that Apostle John uses. He uses phrases like robe in a cloud, rainbow above his head, face was shining like the sun, legs like fiery pillars, having the roar of a lion and the voice of seven thunders. So when you look at these phrases, what comes to mind automatically? Does it not remind you of the glorified Christ, the appearance of Yahusha to Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1? And Apostle John even was instructed to write about the appearance of the glorified Messiah. But is this passage speaking about the Messiah? Or could it be speaking about something that involves the work of the Messiah? Well, I don't believe that this is referring to the Messiah. Because when we look at the passage in Revelation 10, 1 to 3, it mentions another mighty angel. So if the mighty angel refers to the Messiah, the fact that it, meant it adds the word another suggests that there is an angel that is of similar ability or power or authority, right? So if Yahusha is the mighty angel, there's another one like him because of the word another. You get it? And so when we look at this phrasing, another mighty angel, we know it could not refer to our King Yahusha because our King Yahusha is unique. He is the only begotten son of God. So this refers to an angel, a mighty angel whose work represents and is symbolized by the phrases used here, which we know is descriptive of our King Yahusha. And so we know this mighty angel is going to give an assurance about something, which is what Revelation 10, 1 to 3 is all about. Now, who is this mighty angel? Well, it doesn't tell us, right? It doesn't have the name. However, we might have a clue when we look at the Greek word for mighty, because it mentions mighty angel, we get this clue. The Greek word used for mighty 
is the word iskoros. It means mighty, strong, powerful, valiant, right? So the Greek word is iskoros, which happens to mean in Hebrew, the equivalent in Hebrew is geber, Hebrew, geber. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Gabriel means geber plus al, the mighty one of Allahim, Gabriel, the strong one of Allahim, the valiant one of Allahim. And so what the clue suggests is the mighty angel referred to in Revelation 10, 1 to 3 is the angel Gabriel. And so when we look at patterns in the Holy Scripture, when we go back to the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, what were the announcements of the mighty angel Gabriel? So that we can get a clue concerning what the purpose of Gabriel's message is in Revelation chapter 10. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 9, 20 to 24. Gabriel makes an appearance. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to Yahuwah my God for his holy hill while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in a swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people, people of Israel, and your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And so here's Daniel, which we know is a prophet, right? A prophet in the Old Testament. And when Daniel was a prophet, who were his contemporaries? Who did he work with? Who were the, the prophets who prophesied during his time? You had Ezekiel, you had Daniel, you had Jeremiah, they were contemporaries. And that time, during the days of Ezekiel, Daniel and Jeremiah, what was the condition of Israel? They were in captivity. And so what were they in need of? They needed to be restored. And so when Daniel was praying, he was confessing his sins and the sins of his people Israel, because of the sins of the people Israel, they turned away from Yahuwah, they were punished by Yahuwah, they became captives, and so they need restoration. So here's Daniel, he's praying. And what happens as he was praying? An angel begins to show up. And the angel's name happens to be who? Gabriel. And what does Gabriel say to the prophet Daniel? He tells Daniel, I'm going to give you insight and understanding. What Gabriel basically outlines to Daniel is Yahuwah's work of restoration for his people, Israel. And this is the plan, the 77s, which is seven, uh, 490 years. We talked about this before in our previous Bible studies. It is the 490-year plan of restoration, 490, right? Gabriel announces the 490-year plan of restoration for Israel to Daniel. So we know Gabriel, when he gave his message to Daniel, 
during the time when the people of Israel needed restoration, Yahuwah outlines his plan, okay? And so when else does the uh, angel Gabriel show up and make an announcement? Let's go back. Let's go now to the book of Luke 1, 16 to 19. Many of the people of Israel uh, will he bring back to the, to the Lord your God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. So when else uh, does Gabriel appear in the, a vision to give a message or to make an announcement? When John the Baptist and also our King Yahushua was to be born. And when he appeared to Zechariah, who, by the way, is Zechariah here? Who is Zechariah? He's a priest and he's the father of John the Baptist. He makes an appearance to Zechariah and then he makes an announcement about his son. The Bible says he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. What is that work again? We studied it before in other passages of scripture. The parallel gospel passages tell us it is the work of restoring Israel. And so in Daniel, we find the outline, the plan of God. In Here in the book of Luke, we find the work of restoration taking place already. It is already at hand. And this is the spirit of the work of Elijah. Remember the prophecy we studied, Malachi chapter 4, 5 to 6, where it speaks about what's going to happen in the end times. And so all these connections are being made. And the subject matter is the restoration of the people of Israel. So I want you to keep that in mind, that the subject matter of Gabriel's announcements is the work of restoring Israel beginning with the 490-year plan. He gave that as an outline. And then when John the Baptist comes into the scene, it's already in motion. It's already at hand. In fact, Yahushua was, uh, was preached by John the Baptist and was prepared because John the Baptist baptized and preached all about Yahushua so that Israel could be restored. But what did they do to John the Baptist and Yahushua? They killed him, right? And so we know what happened because of that. There's going to be a, a, a greater and more comprehensive fulfillment right before the day of the Lord, according to Malachi 4, uh, 5 down to 6. So Gabriel is involved in this announcement concerning the restoration of uh, Israel. And when we go back to the 70, the 70 times 7, the uh, 490 year plan for Israel's restoration, we get the details in 9.25 to 26, know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, uh, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench built in times of trouble. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. 
and desolations have been decreed. So we've studied this prophecy before, and we know the anointed one could have a double fulfillment. One was with Nehemiah. The other one, the more complete one, is Yahushua. He is the anointed one. And what is the purpose of the anointed one? To bring restoration to Yesharah, to Israel. But what did they do to the anointed one? He will be cut off and will have nothing. This refers to the death of our king, Yahushua. So that's what it says in 25 to 26, Yahushua will be put to death, right? And then the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. It's going to be defiled. It's going to be, this was fulfilled in 70 AD when the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed by the Roman Empire. However, in verse 27, it talks about the last seven weeks or the last week, the last seven days. In Daniel 9, 27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one, seven, the last seven days. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination and causes desolation until the end that his decree is poured out on him. And so this final phase of the 490-year plan of salvation and restoration for Israel, and consequently the people, the Gentiles, right, is going to have a last portion, the last seven weeks, or the last, not the last seven, the last week, which is, of course, the last seven years. And in the last seven years, it speaks about making a covenant that will start the seven years, which many people call the um, the, uh, the seven-year tribulation period. And at the midpoint, after 3.5 years, what do we have? We have the uh, abomination of desolation, right? And then we conclude with another 3.5 years. So the final one week, the final week, I should say, the final seven, the final seven years is an important part of the work of restoration. It hasn't started yet. It's about to start. Daniel 9, 24 to 26 has, was unfolding, and then there was a gap. It stopped. And now it's going to start again when this covenant is made, right? And so when this covenant is made, it's going to last for seven years. At the midpoint is the ab abomination of desolation. And so Daniel is speaking about the work, the plan of Yahuwah, about restoring Israel and to bring salvation. So if Gabriel announces the 490-year plan to restore Israel, if Gabriel also announces the work of restoration that is to be fulfilled by Yahushua and John the Baptist, is it possible that Gabriel in Revelation 10 is also announcing what is related to the restoration of Israel? I think so. I think in Revelation 10, Gabriel is saying the completion, the completion, not that the kingdom of God is at hand, the completion of the work of salvation, the completion of the work of restoration involving Yisrael is going to be complete. This is what uh, Gabriel is announcing in Revelation 10. Why are we confident that this is the case? Well, let's go back to Revelation chapter 10, you notice this mighty angel, according to verse 2, he planted his right foot on the sea 
and his left foot on the land. Now, of course, we know this is going to be symbolic of something. When we look at the word the sea and the land, we know it's a specific land and it's a specific sea because of the word the. What do we call that again? A definite article. It's not just any sea, but the sea. It's not just any land, but the land. And what is that sea? If you go to the Greek word used for sea, it is the Greek word thalassa, which used specifically, if you have the the in front of it, it is the Mediterranean Sea. And so what land, which is specific, which is in relation to biblical prophecy, that is next to the Mediterranean Sea. Here's the Mediterranean Sea, right? And this is the sea often associated with what specific land in biblical prophecy. Why, of course, none other than Yisharal. And so when the Bible says the angel, the mighty angel, is standing on the sea and on the land, it's referring to the angel Gabriel making an assurance regarding the work of restoring Israel. And so this Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is describing somehow the work of restoration. So what is his purpose? What is angel Gabriel going to do? What is the purpose of this mighty angel? Well, let's go to Revelation 10, 1 to 3. You notice, and if you still remember, the mighty angel is described by the Apostle John with other words or phrases which are symbolic. The cloud, the rainbow, the sun, the fiery pillars. Remember what we told you when it comes to Revelation and the use of symbols. Oftentimes, the book of Revelation, when they use symbols, usually... I mean, they, they tell you what the symbols mean, like in the next sentence or in the next phrase. Or they tell you what the symbols mean when you go to the Old Testament scriptures. This is why to understand Revelation, you need to also look at the symbols used in the Old Testament. And so this mighty angel is being described as robed in a cloud with a rainbow, face like the sun, and legs with fiery pillars. And so what is this all about? This whole symbol about this mighty angel who represents the work of restoring Israel through Yahushua. Well, let's go ahead and look at the word rainbow. When you think of rainbow, what comes to mind? Oh boy, I should not have asked that question, right? But in the biblical sense, or from the Holy Scripture, when we use and uh, the word rainbow, what is it, it? What is it in association with? In Genesis 9, 12 to 16, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living uh, creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Remember what is being described in the trumpet events, destruction, mankind destroying each other, 
mankind destroying earth, angels destroying earth, right? And then Yahuwah says, I remember my covenant that is symbolized by the rainbow. What is that covenant? That he will not destroy all flesh in the same way it was destroyed by the flood. And so what we find concerning the word rainbow are two things. Number one, Yahuwah's commitment to his covenant. When Yahuwah makes a covenant, he's going to be committed and faithful to that covenant, right? We can count on him to fulfill the terms of the covenant. Whatever promise he made, he's going to fulfill. And also concerning the earth. The earth, according to his promise to his friend Abraham, right? It's going, there, there are people who are going to inherit the earth. This is why Yahuwah appointed a kinsman redeemer to redeem what? The earth. So the earth is going to be redeemed. And the rainbow represents a kind of reminder of his everlasting promise and his covenant. So the, the rainbow represents Yahuwah's faithfulness to his covenant. Okay, that's the rainbow. Well, how about the cloud and the fiery pillars? Where have we heard that before? What does that represent? What is it symbolic of? Exodus 13. And Yahuwah went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in the pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So what is the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire used for? It is to guide, right? To guide the people of Yahuwah. What also was the cloud used for? In the book of Exodus 40, for the cloud of Yahuwah was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so the purpose of the cloud, the purpose of the fire, the pillar of fire was to represent the presence of Yahuwah to guide them, right? To guide the people of Yisrael along their journey through the wilderness. So the cloud and pillar of fire represents the guidance of Yahuwah Abba. Well, how about the symbolism of the sun? What is that all about? The sun. In the book of Psalm 84, 11, for Yahuwah God is a sun and shield. And so when you think of a sun, it's also a way of, it's like a type of, it provides you with grace and glory. Yahuwah will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so Yahuwah is likened to the sun because, it, because of the grace and the manifestation of glory that he provides his people okay what else so what else is the the sun re reference or the sun symbolic of let's go to malachi for one to two for behold the day is coming burning like another and all the proud yes all who do wickedly will be stumble remember in the book of revelation chapter 10 when it says the mighty the mighty angel like has a face likened to the sun and so if it is referring to Yahuwah's face, Yahuwah's face can one can be one of either two things. It can either be the face where you're going to be condemned by Yahuwah, which is the face of wrath, or the face of you know, a friend, face of healing, a face of comfort. That's when Yahuwah comes to save and deliver you. We don't want Yahuwah to use his face against us. We want Yahuwah to use his face for us. In Malachi 4, 1 to 2, it describes two different manifestations of the sun. 
right? For those who are not faithful to Yahuwah, it's like burning, like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up. So the sun is not going to be friendly for them, right? Says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like uh, stall-fed calves. And so for those who fear the name of Yahuwah, Yahuwah's face is not going to be a sun that will burn you like an oven. It's going to be the sun, which is the sun of righteousness. Righteousness is what protects us. Righteousness is what will lead to our healing and comfort. This is why those who recognize and fear and reverence the name of Yahuwah, when Yahuwah looks upon the earth, we will find favor in his eyes. So the sun represents the protection and righteousness of Yahuwah. So now we kind of get a sense of the purpose of this mighty angel in Revelation 10. What is his purpose? The purpose of the mighty angel is to give assurance that Yahuwah's faithfulness to his covenant will provide guidance, protection, and righteousness. Isn't that a nice assurance to have? I mean, it's something we need. But the next question is, well, with whom does the mighty angel give this assurance to? That he's faithful to his promise of restoration, that he will provide guidance, protection, grace, and righteousness. With whom does he give this assurance to? Care to guess? Well, all we need to do is read the passage again. We read all about this, the work of this angel, which is to give assurance of the faithfulness of Yahuwah. With whom does he make this assurance to? Well, in verse 3, it says, he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. Who is that lion that makes a roar? Who is that? I think, you know, that's Yahusha, right? When the lion roars, what happens to those who follow the lion? They respond. Because those who truly belong to Yahushua, when he speaks, the people follow, right? When the shepherd's voice is brought out and it makes a sound, the true sheep, they listen to that voice, right? Those who belong to the kingdom led by the lion, who is our king Yahushua, when he roars, the people respond if they belong to Yahushua. The Bible speaking about giving a loud shout like the roar of a lion. So the assurance that the, uh, the angel is giving is for the work that is represented by the roaring of the lion. We studied this before in the book of Hosea 11. Uh, how can I give you up, Ephraim? That's Israel. How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. They will follow Yahuwah. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares Yahuwah. And so the roar of the lion, when it is heard, there are people who will respond. Who are they? Children of Israel. Because we know 
that Yahuwah is bringing together the tribes of Israel who were not present when Yahusha was around, when he was in Jerusalem in the first century, because the majority who received the message were those from the tribe of Judah. The 10 tribes of Israel, they were across the globe. And we know that there are tribes of Israel throughout the world. And one place that they're located is in the Far East, the islands of the sea. And so the roar of the lion will cause people who belong to Yisharal. And they're going to respond to this roar of the lion because of their reverence for Yahuwah and Yahusha. Now, what does a roar represent? Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their banners for signs. Oftentimes, the, the roar of the lion is indicative of victory, of triumph. If you're one nation battling against another nation and you're victorious, you proclaim a banner. And the banner is what represents your victory. And so there's a, a, a voice and a roar of a lion. The lion is who? Yahushua. Now, whose banner is going to be raised up when the roar of the lion is heard. It is in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. So who will raise that banner? Yisharal will. And who is that banner? Yahushua. When Yahushua's banner is raised up, what's going to happen? People of all nations will rally to him. In other words, this work of salvation and restoration is not just for Israel, but for all the nations and all the people of the world. But it will be initiated by Israel, by Israel. So the angel in Revelation 10, the assurance of Yahuwah's faithfulness to his covenant, to his promise of the work of restoration, and his assurance that he will provide guidance, protection, and righteousness. Well, this is for the work of the assembly of Yahushua, the true Yasharal today. This is why Revelation 10, brothers and sisters, gives us something that we need to focus on doing. Remember, Revelation 10 and uh, Trumpet 6, it hasn't been fulfilled yet. But time will come when we need to remember what Yahuwah wants from us. And time is going to come when we're going to need this assurance from Yahuwah. I wonder why. I mean, when would a person need assurance? When? When would a person want assurance? It's when you get a lot of enemies, right? Especially the chief enemy of all, who is that? The adversary of our faith, the devil. What do you think is going to happen when the end of the world is near? The Bible says the devil, who's roaming around looking for someone to devour, they're going to bring wrath upon the remnant of Yahushua, Right? He's going to attack us. There's going to be the coming Antichrist, the lawless one, the beast powers. They're going to target the work of the assembly of Yahushua. What do we need? Assurance. That's precisely why this is mentioned by the Apostle John. So that when that day happens, we will remember this passage. That Yahuwah has given assurance that he will be faithful to his covenant. Not only that. You notice when... This assurance is being given. It's going to be during a time when the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And so when the Apostle John was writing the book of Revelation, 
he saw the angel, the mighty angel, and then he hears the voices of the seven thunders. Now, what is that? Well, we don't know because Apostle John was told not to write it down, right? But when we go to the Old Testament and look at the nature of what the seven thunders represent, well, what is the thunder? What is that indicative of? In Psalms 77, the voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Psalm 147, at your rebuke they fled at the voice of your thunder. And so the voice of Yahuwah is likened to thunder. And you find references of this throughout scripture in Ezekiel and Revelation. We talk about the voice of not only Yahuwah, but also Yahusha. And it's likened to thunder. Why is it likened to thunder? Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power who can understand. So the voice of Yahusha is likened to thunder because it is filled with power. Power. In other words, the message of the seven thunders is related to the completion of Yahuwah Elohim's plans, his words, his plan of restoration, and it will be completed with great power. This is why when you read the book of Revelation, from Revelation 11 all the way to the end, it's going to be filled with power from Yahuwah. And the power that will destroy wickedness. This is why we will uncover the bowls which will be unleashed upon the face of the earth. Woe to those who are not in heaven when that happens. The power that will destroy those who are wicked is going to be unleashed. So the completion of Yahuwah's work of restoration involves its fulfillment and completion manifested with great power. Power from Yahuwah. Now, what is this plan that will come to completion with great power? Is it a new plan from Yahuwah? No, because if you look at Revelation 10, it mentions voices of the seven thunders. Seven thunders represent the plan. The represents the, what do you call that again? Definite article. So it's a specific plan and purpose of Yahuwah. It's already been revealed. What is that? Could the voice of the seven thunders speaking mark the last seven years of Yahuwah's 400 nine-year plan for the restoration of Israel and salvation for mankind, which is the work of the assembly of Yahushua. I believe so. This is why it's being marked with, with it's called seven thunder. Seven is the, represents the number of completion, right? We have seven days in one complete week. Six days of work, and then the seventh day is rest, and so in the creation week, Yahuwah is basically speaking about a work of restoration that will last seven days, right? Which is equivalent to 7,000 years. We talked about that before uh, when we looked at the plan of Yahuwah's work of redemption and restoration. It involves a 7,000-year plan culminating in the eighth day, which is the everlasting kingdom in heaven, right? And so we are speaking here about the last seven years of the 490-year plan, this is the work of the assembly of Yahusha. And so if the seven thunders and its message is indicative of the last seven years, it makes sense. Why? Because the last seven years 
will lead to the return of our King Yahusha. The last seven years is going to complete that work of restoration. And when Daniel wrote about the last seven years, he mentions when the covenant is going to be created, and we're going to talk about that in Revelation 11. This is why we believe Revelation 10 is basically announcing through the seven thunders the seven year, the seven year period of tribulation. In Revelation 11, we're going to look at the details of that uh, the, of uh, the seven year tribulation. But for now, we know that the last seven years is called tribulation. In the middle of the seven, we have the abomination of desolation. So we have 3.5 years, abomination of desolation, another 3.5 years to make the complete seven. This represents the final seven years of the 490-year plan of Yahuwah to restore Israel. And so when we are at the final phase, remember, there was a long gap in time between the death and burial of our King Yahushua and the commencement of this last seven years. And this will be initiated by a ruler, an antichrist, right? He's going to set up a treaty or a covenant. So when that happens, that's also represent, that's when the thunders, the seven thunders are going to be on, uh, it's going to unfold. We're going to find out the contents of the seven thunders message. And this is a very significant event. As a matter of fact, Yahushua, when he was asked for the signs of the end, the foremost sign he spoke about was Matthew 24. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. And so our King Yahushua knows about that event. It's an important mark. It's the mark that we need to be watching for because when that happens, we know something is going to happen soon. Why? Because in Revelation 10, it says, Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea that all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. Why? Because when that happens, how many years left do we have? Seven years. That's why the Bible says there's no more delay, like clockwork, one after the other is going to be swift. It's going to be fast. And brethren, when you look at what's happening in Israel today, you got the red heifer sacrifice. You've got the third temple being built, right? What does that tell us? We know that there's going to be someone who's going to occupy that throne, someone who's going to represent the Antichrist and the beast. They're coming soon. And it will begin. It will begin the seven years that we are waiting for. When that happens, there will be no more delay. It's going to happen really swiftly, really, really fast. Now, before that happens, before the end happens, take a look at verse 7. What happens first? But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, want to pause it for a while. We're not yet finished with the sixth trumpet, right? But here, Apostle John is giving advance warning because when the seventh angel will announce his, and will, be, will blow his trumpet, the seventh trumpet, we know it's going to be the rapture, the harpazo, and then the woes are come and destroy the people who are wicked. 
And so it's, and it's going to happen really fast. So, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. And so something is going to be accomplished that leads to the seventh angel blowing his trumpet. What is that? The mystery of God, just as he announced to his servants and the prophets. So there's this mystery that the Bible's talking about, a mystery that needs to happen. And this mystery is connected to the seventh trumpet. It's going to be accomplished. When it's accomplished, the seventh, the events connected to the seventh trumpet, we know it's going to be showcased. This is why we need to know what they are, the mysteries that are involved with the seventh trumpet. You know, what are they? The mystery that will be accomplished. They have to be accomplished involving the seventh trumpet. Verse three, what's number one? 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 8, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who know, who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And so the Bible speaks here about the mystery of lawlessness. And what is this all about? It's about the one, the one who is going to be destroyed by Yahushua with the breath of his mouth. Who is that? The Antichrist, the beast, right? They're going to represent the mystery of lawlessness. And why is it called the mystery of lawlessness? Apostle Paul says that they're already at work. What was he referring to? Two, three to four. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. What is that day that will not come? spoken of by Apostle Paul. It is the day of Yahuwah, the day of the Christ. It's synonymous. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so here's the mystery of lawlessness. The man of sin, the Antichrist, somehow he's going to represent God. He's going to make himself God, and people are going to worship him as though he's God. That's really bizarre, right? I mean, why would anyone worship the lawless one? But that's exactly what people are going to do. And the reason why is because of that word that starts with letter D. What is that word? Deception, right? People are going to be deceived by the lawless one. Many people are going to look at the lawless one, the Antichrist, and they're going to worship him because they're going to adore him. It's possible that when the sixth trumpet war takes place and the world is in utter chaos, there's going to be this leader and peacemaker. And he's, he's going to organize the nations of the world and they're going to admire him, right? And so perhaps, perhaps because of that, people are going to look to him for their well-being instead of the true Mashiach. And so he will sit in the temple and he will receive worship as though he was God himself. That's the coming of the lawless one or the Antichrist. That's one of the mysteries that's going to happen that is in connection with the seventh trumpet. What else is spoken of as a mystery? Let's read Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be Change in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when the trumpet will sound, 
and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So according to the Holy Scriptures, there's another mystery that Apostle Paul's talking about. And it's the mystery of being changed in the twinkling of an eye. What is that twinkling of an eye change? The transformation that happens to us where our bodies are transformed into immortal bodies so that we can be with Yahushua forevermore at the sound of the last trumpet. What do we call that? The harpazo, right? The rapture, the harpazo. And, you know, this is what we are hoping for. This is what we are waiting for. This is why when the events of the end times are taking place, the disasters, the diseases, the deaths, the deception, we are looking forward to the harpazo when Yahushua returns and we meet him in the, in the air to be with him forevermore. So that's another mystery. The mysteries that will be accomplished that is connected with the seventh trumpet. One is the harpazo. What else? Let's go back to Revelation 10 verse 7. But in the days when the seventh angel is about uh, to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants and the prophets. The word used that is translated, announced in Greek is you. Uh, Eugelizo or evangelizo. It's, it's involved in the work evangelism. Okay. Um, so evangelizo, which is, you look at the Greek meaning, it means to preach the good news. What is the good news? It's the gospel. The gospel that was announced, that was preached to his servants, the prophets. So what was announced long ago to the servants, the prophets, it's called the good news. Okay. And so what is that mystery all about? This mystery of preaching the good news or the gospel. Colossians 1.27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we, we may present every man perfect in Christ, Yahushua. According to Apostle Paul, what is that mystery? involving the gospel that must be accomplished because it's connected with the seventh trumpet. What is it? It is the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. And Apostle Paul says the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, that Christ is in them. So the Gentiles, they have the opportunity to receive Christ so that Christ can be in them. So this is not just for Israel, right? It's also involving the Gentiles. This is why in Ephesians, uh, 3, 1 to 6, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Yahushua, for you, Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the race of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly uh, written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in our other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So what is that mystery? It is also connected to the work leading up to the seventh trumpet. It is the work of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. It's a mystery because... When the Gentiles receive the Spirit, when the Gentiles receive Yahushua, the Christ for salvation, 
the people of Israel, people of Israel, they were astonished. This work about them of the Messiah is not just for Israel, it's for the whole world. And to them, that was a mystery because when they read the Old Testament, they thought it was only pertaining to the, 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 the Israelites. Here's Apostle Paul. No, it also pertains to the whole world. So it's a mystery. However, what is its connection to end time events? This mystery of the Gentiles. It gets deeper. Romans 11, 11 25, Apostle Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Apostle Paul speaking about Yisharah, about Israel. Okay, certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You see, Yahushua gave himself uh, to Israel. But Israel rejected the Messiah, right? And so Israel fell. Israel was rejected. And so what does Yahuwah do? He gives salvation to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles are being called into the fold. This is why you have congregations emerging in Gentile territories like Ephesus, Kalos, right? Corinth. You have these areas where most of the population are, of, are, are Gentiles. And so Apostle Paul becomes an apostle to the Gentiles. But Apostle Paul saying, you know, does that mean because Israel fell, but Yahuwah has forgotten all about them? Verse 25. Uh, he says, uh, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Again, it's the mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so here we have the full scope of the meaning of that mystery. We know when it mentions mystery, it involves the harpazo, the mystery of lawlessness also the coming of the Antichrist, right? But here, this is really beautiful. It mentions the mystery of the blindness of Israel and the calling of the Gentiles. And it mentions there's a fullness of the Gentiles that's going to come in. In other words, right now, the Gentiles are being gathered together. And at the same time, the blindness of Israel is being slowly restored. And so the work of restoring blindness for Israel and the work of bringing the Gentiles together in Yahusha, this is the work that is happening now. And so it's going to come to its fullness, fullness of restoration from blindness and fullness of the Gentiles coming in. They go together. That's the mystery. And it's a beautiful thing. And so why is there a need for Israel um, to have their blindness restored. Well, because when Israel rejected Messiah, they were given over to their stupor. This is why they could see, but not, they could see, but not perceive, and hear, but not understand. And so the Gentiles came in, became members of the assembly of Yahushua in the first century. Unfortunately, during the age of the Gentiles, what did they do? Well, they brought in a lot of apostasy. <laughs> They brought in a lot of pagan-influenced doctrines and deeds. This is why when the Gentiles came in, Trinity and pagan practices and celebrations were incorporated. Worship of idols and images became rampant. A removal of the sacred names of Yahuwah and Yahusha, uh, well, they were re removed, replaced with other pagan names. And then they desecrate the Sabbath. 
And so there was this blindness for Israel and the blindness and deafness of Israel, Israel, when we go back and look at the history of Israel, you can basically say, you know, during the time of Elijah, they were blind because they could not see and hear Yahuwah. They were focused on Baal because of their fear of Jezebel and Ahab. The time of the apostles, they can see Yahuwah, but they cannot see and hear Yahusha. They were blind to Yahusha. In the last days today, there are people who believe in Yahuwah and Yahusha, but they are blind, cannot see the Ten Commandments and the law of Yahuwah. And so we have here a need to bring restoration to the blindness of Israel and to bring the completion, preaching of the gospel to bring salvation to Gentiles, to bring their number to the fullness, the fullness of the Gentiles and the restoration of Israel from blindness. So this is the mystery that's going to be accomplished, right? It's going to be accomplished and it's going to happen before the seventh trumpet or on the seventh trumpet, okay? So this is what's going to happen. And this is what Revelation 10 is telling us in advance. And so what do we need to do? Because when we look at the last part of that, the preaching of the gospel to bring salvation to Gentiles and to restore Israel from blindness. Well, brothers and sisters, who's doing that work today? Who's doing that work? Huh? Who's doing that work today? Isn't that the work of the assembly? Right? That's precisely the work of the assembly of Yahushua. This is why we have the assurance from Yahuwah that he'll be faithful to provide guidance, protection, and righteousness in the work that we do. And you know what kind of guidance Yahuwah is going to give us? Now let's go to Revelation 10 again. Verse 2. He was holding a little scroll. You notice that? Who is holding the little scroll in his hand? The angel. The angel has a scroll in his hand. And this little scroll is going to be relevant when it comes to the work of restoration. Why do we know this? Let's go to 8 down to 10. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea on the, and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. I, take, I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Interesting. Angel Gabriel is standing for the restoration of Israel, right? He's giving assurance about the restored Israel. And he's also telling John, here's a little scroll. I want you to take it and eat it. When you put it in your mouth, it's going to taste what? Sweet. But once you chew it, you digest it, it's in your stomach, what happens? It becomes sour. It gives you a sour stomach, right? So it's good at the taste, but it affects you after you really think about it. You know, when the word of God is likened to food, when we look at the passage, and then we kind of think about it, it kind of, it has an effect on us, right? That's the word of God. And so what does it mean that 
he was instructed to eat uh, the scroll. To what is what is something that we were given by Yahuwah or his prophets and his servants to eat? Jeremiah 15, verse 16. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Yahuwah God Almighty. Remember the prophets who were prophesying, prophesying during the time of captivity. Who were they again? You got Jeremiah, you got Ezekiel, and Daniel. And so the, the, the message they're receiving focuses on the work of restoration, right? Because that was the condition of Israel. So they were the prophets of restoration. And so here's Jeremiah. He, were, he was given the words and he said that I ate them. And when you eat the words of Yahuwah, what is their taste? The book of Psalms 19, 8 to 10. The commandments of Yahuwah are right bringing joy to the heart. The commands of Yahuwah are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for Yahuwah is pure, lasting forever. The laws of Yahuwah are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. And so we have here something that tastes like honey, as sweet as honey. What are they? The words of Yahuwah. The commandments of Yahuwah. The laws of Yahuwah. Remember the Ten Commandments? In Psalms 119 and Psalms 19, it speaks about the Ten Commandments. Every one of the Ten Commandments is fair. The laws are true. It is pure and it will last forever. This is why you don't change it. You don't replace it, right? It is pure. It's like honey. In Psalms 119 as well, how sweet your words to me, uh, taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. And so why then does the Bible say that when he places it in his mouth, it's sweet, but then in the stomach, it becomes sour. Why? Well, let's read Ezekiel 2, 9 to 10. Remember, who are the prophets of restoration? You got, because they were, it was a time of captivity, you got Ezekiel, you got Daniel, you got Jeremiah. Here we have Ezekiel. Now, when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. And so here we have a scroll, and the scroll of a book, right? But written on it were lamentations, mourning and woe. When you digest lamentations, mourning and woe, will that make you happy? No, right? And so here we have something that is similar to what we read about in Revelation chapter 10, right? In Revelation chapter 10, the apostle John is presented by an angel with a scroll in his hand. Here, Ezekiel sees a scroll in someone's hand, right? And then what happened? We need to know that during the time of Ezekiel, Israel was in need of restoration. And so what happens after the scroll was given? Ezekiel 3, moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat the scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Doesn't that describe what the Apostle John was writing about 
in Revelation chapter 10, there is a scroll and Ezekiel eats the scroll. And when he eats the scroll, it tastes really good, sweet, but then it doesn't mention about the sour stomach, right? It doesn't mention that yet. It doesn't mention it. But if you still remember, it was also, you know, it had two sides, the scroll, and the other side had like lamentations and woes, punishments. And so it doesn't mention in Ezekiel, you know, what happened after it was digested. But for just here, it just says it was sweet. It was sweet, right? And why, to whom does he... What is the meaning of eating the scroll? Because he was instructed to eat the scroll, right? What does that mean? What does it mean symbolically when you are told to eat the scroll? Well, we read one, two, three. Let's read now 46. Then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. And so according to scriptures, what does it mean to eat the scroll? What does that mean to eat the scroll? To preach, to speak the words of Yahuwah. You see, that scroll that contains the words of Yahuwah, which is sweet to the mouth, it contains instructions for restoration. That's what that little scroll is all about. It's about the message of Yahuwah for how his people will be restored. Because at this point, Israel is in need of restoration. But when uh, Ezekiel is to present this to the house of Israel, right, which is today, that would represent the assembly, the house of Israel today, is the assembly. Now, when this is presented to the house of Israel back then, what was the response? Let's read Ezekiel 3, 7 and 9. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads like adamant stone, harder than flint. I have made your forehead do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. This is why it's full of lamentations and woes, because Yahuwah knows they're hard-headed. They will not listen to the preaching of restoration, right? And, some, and that is also the case today, isn't it? This is why the scroll contained lamentations and woes, because Yahuwah knew that the, it would be rejected, 10 to 11. Uh, moreover, he said to me, son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears and go get to the captives, tell uh, to the children of your people and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. And so this is also the same message today, the same message of Yahuwah today, that little scroll that represents the words of who? Yahuwah involved in the work of restoration. And so when Yahuwah gave to Ezekiel the words, he said to Ezekiel, take my words to heart and present it to the people who are captives. If they accept, good. If they refuse, well, that's their problem, right? Do it no matter what. And when you think about it, isn't that the work of the assembly today? 
What is the work of the assembly today? To preach the little scroll, the words of Yahuwah that brings re uh, restoration because the Gentiles, they cause this vast apostasy in the faith of the followers of Yahushua. And so we are restoring that. We're preaching the Ten Commandments. We're preaching the laws of Yahuwah. This is why the Bible mentions the work of the assembly of Yahushua is to preach the little scroll, the words of Yahuwah for restoration. In, the, in our mouth, it tastes sweet, right? In your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when it was eaten, my stomach turns out. Why does Apostle John say, in my mouth, it tastes sweet? Because the content of the little, the little scroll will lead to the preaching of the gospel to all the Gentiles who are going to be saved and to restore Israel from blindness. And it will bear the fruit of salvation, the harpazo. This is why it's sweet, because it contains hope. It's sweet because the words of God, they bring salvation. They bring everlasting life. Isn't that sweet? Right? And the work of the assembly today is to preach that little scroll, to preach Yahuwah's message of reconciliation, because Yahuwah has not given up on Israel. What's the proof? Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says Yahuwah, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. This, this passage in Isaiah 43, 1, this is a passage being fulfilled today. In Isaiah 43, 5 to 6, how will Yahuwah restore and bring Israel together? In 5 to 6, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up to the south, and I'll keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And so Yahuwah is going to bring the, sh his, the sheep of Israel to bring them into the fold of which Yahusha is the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, right? Yahuwah has a place where they're going to be brought because this is the work of restoration, restoration through Yahusha. And so they're going to be brought. They're going to be called sons and daughters from the ends of the earth. Where will many of them come from? Well, sing to Yahuwah new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let them give glory to Yahuwah and proclaim his praise in the islands. And so this work of gathering, there's a big part that's going to be gathered there in the islands in the Far East. We studied this before. And so we know Yahuwah brought together many people and placed their trust in Yahushua, the true Mashiach, and they called upon Yahuwah. However, when this was this gathering of the people of Israel, when this was being done, what is the accusation of Yahuwah? Isaiah 43, 8, God says, summon my people to court. They have eyes, but they are blind. They have ears, but they are deaf. And so while Yahuwah is bringing them together, some things never change. During the days of Ezekiel, what did Yahuwah say about his people Israel? He said they were hard-hearted, hard-headed, stubborn. Here, the Bible says, summon my people together. Israel. This is Israel in the last days. Yahuwah says they are blind and they are deaf. Why does Yahuwah say they are blind? In Isaiah 42, 7, way to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release 
from the dungeon, those who sit in darkness. I am Yahuwah, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. So even though they were the people of Israel, they were blind to the name of Elohim. What is his name? Yahuwah. And so that needed to be restored. What also is the reason why Yahuwah summons them and calls them blind? Let's read 42, 4, 18, 21. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Here, you deaf, look, you blind and see. Who is blind but my servant and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one committed to me? Blind like the servant of Yahuwah. You have seen many things, but I've paid no attention. Your ears are open, but you hear nothing. It pleased Yahuwah for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. And so in what other aspect or the people of Israel, when Yahuwah brought them together from the islands of the sea, brought them to, together to be his people, why does Yahuwah say you are blind and deaf? Because even though they were called the sons and daughters of God, they still reject the laws of Yahuwah, the ten commandments, which is very unfortunate. You notice, you know, people who claim to be Jews, they have the Ten Commandments, but they reject Mashiach. People who belong, who claim to belong to Mashiach, they profess Mashiach, but they reject the Ten Commandments, right? You see, there's a restoration that needs to happen. And this is the work of the assembly. Unfortunately, many people will reject that work, just like during the days of Ezekiel. And because of this, they will suffer the consequences. Many people will be left behind. Many people will experience the, the woe and the bowls of wrath that Yahuwah is going to pour upon the earth. This is why it turns sour in the stomach of the Apostle John, right? When he ate it, it tasted sweet because of the hope it offered, restoration. But people will reject it, and many people will reject the Messiah and Yahuwah. And when, so that's why it says it turns sour in his stomach. This is why after this event, you know, the, the beast is going to reign on the earth. And so our work as the assembly of Yahusha, what must we do? Because we have been given that work of restoration. Until when must we fulfill the work? Let's read the final passage of our studies today. Ephesians 4, 12 to 15. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. That's the work of the assembly. When you think about it, that's the work of discipleship. The work of discipleship is to bring up every member of the assembly of Yahushua so that they can attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does it mean to attain the full measure of Christ? It means we must become like him. The assembly is the body. But the assembly needs to be like the head who is leading us. Who is that? Yahusha. 
This is why when we preach the word of God, the work of restoration must go on until we reach the full measure of the fullness of Christ in us. And this is what we're going to do. Time will come where we're going to be persecuted. Time will come when the beast will, will, will be in full rage and wrath against us. Remember the assurance that Yahuwah has given us. He is with us. He is faithful to his covenant. Restoration will be complete. We can count on that. Because Yahuwah is true to his words. He is one who we can rely on. And Yahusha, his beloved son, is with us in this world. We are not by ourselves. And so let us continue to speak the truth in love. And let us work towards attaining the full measure of the fullness of Christ in us, the assembly of Yahusha today. Okay, that is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and merciful Abba Yahuwah, thank you so much for your love, for your concern. Thank you for your desire that we receive salvation. You want us to be restored, not only as a group, but individually, because you are mindful and you are always thinking of each and every one of us. You know what we go through day by day. You know our thoughts, our dreams, our disappointments and our sadness. You know what we endure, the burdens that we carry. We know, Father, that you are working even as we speak. You are working towards restoration that we, your people, your sons and daughters, will be redeemed not only from sin, but also our bodies will be made new and we can be together with you. Our King Yahushua, teach us to be patient. Help us to be faithful. Help us to grow, to become mature, to be more and more like you, which we know is the work of the assembly. Help us that we will find confidence in you. Strengthen our faith because the work we do is about completing Yahuwah's plan for restoration. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people throughout the world. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.